Welcome to Strategy Talk, where the editors of Strategy Page discuss current events with a splash of history. I'm Dan Masterson, host of Strategy Talk. With me today is the editor of Strategy Page, well-known military author and game designer, Jim Dunnigan. Also joining us is the associate editor of Strategy Page, columnist and author, Austin Bay. Welcome, Austin and Jim. Thought we'd spend a little bit of time talking about Libya, which is going to lead us into some discussions about Turkey. But uh, Libya continues to be a hot spot several years after uh, it was taken apart by the by NATO forces uh, helping uh, the rebels. But nobody's been able to gain quite control of the country again. Right, Jim? Yeah, the problem always was that uh, Qaddafi, for several decades, ruled the country by divide and conquer. In other words, you play one side after other. He did, He was not a great conciliator. <laughs> he was a great Machiavellian politician. And uh, the big drawback with that was when he loses power. And yeah, NATO was, was essential with that because uh, he threatened to basically start killing civilians in Moss, which is part of his you know, uh, playbook. Um, and that's the only thing that got NATO air power involved. But that really got him out of power quicker, which probably saved a lot of Libyan lives, uh, except his. Um, but it didn't solve the, the central problem is there is no unifying person or organization uh, in Libya. Now, one did show up. They tried to form a, a, an elected government. They got one, I think it was in, uh, what was that election, in 12. 15, 14, and that was the, uh, you know, they had a temporary committee put together to basically, you know, uh, arrange elections. They had these elections, which were sort of free, and they got this government, uh, elected government, which is still in, 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 in being, because uh, they're the opposition now. <laughs> then the UN came in and said, all right, no, we're going to form another government, the government of national accord. <laughs> which was ridiculous because it was anything but national accord. Uh, but they are the UN recognized, and they only control right now Tripoli and 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 its eastern neighboring city, coastal city, uh, Misrata. Uh, now the problem, the central problem in the in the civil wars that stands right now, is the House the House of uh, Representatives government, which which hooked up with. Another unifier, uh, a former uh, Qaddafi officer who went into exile is actually an American citizen now. Uh, but he and some of his sons came back, uh, and uh, they basically he formed the uh, the Libyan National Army, and he was anti-Islamic terrorist, which made him very popular with most Syrians, especially in eastern Syria. And he proceeded to attack all the uh, the um, Islamic fundamentalist groups, which, again, is what most um, uh, Libyans wanted. Uh, he, uh, you know, by the end of uh, 2019, controlled about like 80 percent of the country, you know, most of the population, all of the oil. Um, and he was closing in on the last stronghold of the GNA, which is Tripoli in the Strata. That's when the, 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 the Turks inv uh, got involved. And they did it for purely personal reasons. Uh, they talked to the GNA and said, look, if you'll sign a treaty with us, uh, you know, agreeing with our, our claims on, uh, on, on water, uh, you know, water rights you know, between Libya and Turkey, which basically throws uh, Greece out, uh, 
we'll send in troops and we'll save your bacon, uh, so to speak. Um, and, uh, and that's what's happening. Now, the problem is the EU will not recognize that agreement. The UN technically doesn't, but they're, they're afraid to come out and say it. Um, and they just signed uh, yesterday or, uh, or today, a, if they're, if they're, you know, weeks of hassling and whatnot, I think they were in Geneva or something for the final negotiations. All the, all the key parties, and in calling General Hiftar, the head of the, the organizer of the LNA, uh, to a national ceasefire and a period of political negotiation. Uh, well, that may not work out. But at, right now, they have a ceasefire. Uh, the Turks have apparently reduced their their mercenary force, which is costing them a lot of money. They got paid double, so to speak, to these mercs to send them over to out, outside of Syria. Um, and uh, and so the future is still murky, but at least the fighting has officially stopped. But what is a problem now is the problem Libya always had, and the GNA has much more so than the, the uh, Libyan National Army, and that is the independent militias. They are, for example, insist, insisting, the larger ones, there's about a dozen really big ones, uh, want to have official representation at this, this, uh, this political negotiations. Now, that, that means no unity for, for Libya, because you still got these, these militias. Mostly, most of them are in Tripoli or Misrata, um, because they are the problem. Now, Hiftar solved that problem. I mean, he didn't destroy these militias. He basically went in and gave them an offer they couldn't refuse. You know, he gave the, you know, carrot and stick. Uh, and they realized that most of their constituents, because most of these militias are, you know, uh, tribe-based or, you know, ge- geographically based, uh, most of their constituents want peace. Uh, and they don't want these militias constantly fighting each other because a lot of them, to sustain themselves, have gone gangster. And that was a big problem when when uh, when Hiftar's LNA was closing in earlier in the year on Tripoli before the Turkish uh, mercenary force hit him in big in full force. Uh, they uh, they were still they were still infighting going on, even though they were desperately trying to keep you know the uh, LNA out of Tripoli because if the LNA took Tripoli, it was all over for the militias. One way or another, they were going to you know submit, um, but they were still sniping at each other. And now they're still doing it. Even with this, this ceasefire, a lot of these militias feel, well, it doesn't really apply to me. I have to settle this, this beef I have with so-and-so militia. Uh, so the problems are still there. Now, Turkey insists that they will stay uh, in order to uh, secure uh, their agreement with the GNA. So the Turks have a vested interest in sustaining the, the, the one of the two governments in Libya that is basically... Uh, not sustainable. In other words, it has a minority of the population, a minority of the, the, the real estate, uh, a minority of the legitimacy. I mean, most Libyans are, are fine to have, you know, the LNA and the HOR take over and then hold elections. Uh, the propagandists, you know, uh, against the pro-UN or whatever, anti-Libya propagandists paint Hiptar as, a, as another Gaddafi. No such thing. He's 77 years old. He's had health problems. He's got a couple of his sons, most of whom I think are American-born. He's got five, I think, and a couple of daughters. Um, uh, but they're just, you know, junior-level, you know, flunkies for dad. Uh, and none of them have shown any interest or, you know, ability to become another Gaddafi. So if there's going to be another Gaddafi, it's not going to be from the Hiftar family. 
Uh, it's liable to be any one of these militias, but I doubt it. Gaddafi stepped in at a at a time when Libya was united. They had the monarchy. He was a junior officer. He saw an opportunity. He took it. But that situation no longer applies. Uh, the country is 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 split into you know tribal and geographic you know uh, the fragments. Uh, and the only thing that's going to bring it together is a democratic election so they can fight it out in the legislature instead of in the streets. Uh, the Islamic terrorists are much diminished. Uh, one thing the uh, the GNA mustered its militias for was to destroy or at least uh, eliminate the major ISIL uh, threat, Islamic State threat. There are still some of them there, but they have no real clout. And if they if they basically show themselves too much, you know, Hiftar will go after him, and that's it. Uh, they know they can't. They can't deal with Hiftar, and they've already been beaten by the uh, by the uh, the GNA, which again had assistance from American air support um, in, the, in that final battle in Surte, the uh, city, uh, another coastal city. Um, so the situation there is pretty much who knows. Uh, eventually, they're going to have to reach some sort of uh, agreement because that's what most Libyans want. Libyans miss their the one thing that Qaddafi did well, and that was a sort of a, a welfare state. Uh, you know, he spread the money around, which is what oil, oil, which Arab countries do if, if the current rulers want to stay in power. Um, and, uh, and most, in fact, they, they at one point uh, before Qaddafi fell, <coughs> they employed about a million Egyptians. Basically did all the work or a lot of the work and and, and some Palestinians and basically Arabs. Arab economic mercenaries, so to speak, uh, from all over the Arab world. Most of them are gone, um, and it'll never be the same. But uh, because there's, there's enormous corruption in Libya, Libya is one of the, the most corrupt countries on the planet. Uh, so they have their own internal demons to, to play with. But what they want to get free of now is this 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 constant war. It's not a it's not a very how should I put it a violent war. Not that many casualties. I mean, the, on the average month, there might be maybe a hundred dead, a couple hundred wounded, and and then that half of them are civilians. Uh, you know, it's one of these things where a, a firefight consists of a lot of guys who can't aim shooting in the air. Um, and um, uh, Qaddafi's advantage was he had guys who knew how to shoot straight and shoot for a, shoot the kill, and that's all it took. But see, that's what the Turks brought in. They brought in these Syrian mercenaries. Uh, who are basically veteran? Uh, they belong to the F. They originally started as uh, uh, people who uh, were in the uh, Free Syrian Army, a secular militia, which the United States and Turkey backed early on in the war. But they lost that to the majority of militias, which were Islamic, in uh, in uh, in Syria. That's where literally where ISIL was born by a, a collection of Al Qaeda, former Al Qaeda, Iraqi Al Qaeda. Factions who said, "Let's be the let's be the king of it all. Let's be worse than everybody else," um, which didn't work out in the end. But the there are still Al Qaeda, uh, you know, affiliates uh, in uh, in in Libya and a few smaller ones. But they're no longer as powerful as they used to be, and they basically have to keep their heads down. They, of course, these these uh, these residual Islamic terrorist groups would love to have the UN sponsored government because they know it's weaker. Hiftar is the real deal. He doesn't play around. That's why I say he's popular with most, uh, you know, with most Libyans. I mean, they can do the math. He's an old guy. You know, he's an effective leader, but he's, he's not uh, Rommel. He's not running around 
and making post-war plans to be a military dictator. He just hasn't got it. I mean, everything he said and everything he does indicates otherwise, but you know, that doesn't stop the propaganda. If the narrative is that he's the bad, bad guy at Proto uh, Gaddafi, that's still going to have currency. But the reality is otherwise. Now, the other thing that that brought up for this discussion was the Turkish mercenaries. Now, this is something very clever with the Turks. Uh, they have been fighting in northern uh, Syria for, uh, what, four or five years now. And uh, uh, Erdogan, Recep Erdogan, or Sultan Erdogan, Sultan Recep as we call him, and so many Turks do, uh, he realized early on that uh, it was popular to send some troops into the border area to basically make sure that Islamic State or any other, uh, you know, uh, Islamic terrorist groups uh, didn't make attacks um, in Turkey. And he did that. He basically uh, proposed uh, setting up a 30-kilometer deep uh, neutral zone uh, on the on the Syrian side of the border that would be patrolled, or, you know, basically policed by the FSA initially in, in on the Turkish payroll, but eventually self-sustaining. Uh, and all they had to do was keep the terrorists out of Turkey and and basically unwanted refugees. There are currently 3.6 million Syrian refugees in Turkey. Turkey wants to send them home. Their plan was to send them to this neutral zone. The only way you could get out of that was to get a residency permit in uh, in, in Turkey. Now, some some very uh, skilled or educated uh, Syrian refugees can get that permit. In other words, the Turks are very choosy. If you're very useful for Turkey, we'll give you the residency permit, maybe eventual citizenship. The other way to get it was to serve with the mercenaries. Now, the Turks, again, they're clever. They they hire them. They send them through basic training under under Turkish NCOs who also evaluate their their combat abilities. A lot of them are veterans of years of fighting for the FSA or one militia or the other, uh, and ended up just fleeing with their families uh, to um, to Turkey. Uh, these guys do not want to. They want to have residency in Turkey. They might go work for the Turks in in Syria, but they're not going to live there. Um, and uh, and uh, every time the Turks hire another one, they're basically committing themselves. If these guys serve enough three to six month contracts, that bingo, uh, they and their families, which may be you know another dozen people, uh, get residency permits, get to leave the refugee camps, can send the kids to school, can take jobs, etc. All the things you know a residency permit allows you. They get it as a Turkish green card, um, but it's dangerous work, even though the Turks. They provide medical care, long-term care for your badly wounded, and death benefits. They get a, the family gets a lump sum, and I believe I don't know if they're still doing it. They give them a residency permit, you know. Uh, but it's a it, it only affects that only affects the minority of these refugees because, like I say, they have about fifteen thousand. They've probably recruited and you know discharged maybe thirty thousand at tops of these mercenaries. So you know, you got thirty thousand families or less. Uh, among these, uh, you know, uh, you know, half, half a million, you know, families at least uh, in, 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 in Syria. So it's, it's a drop in the bucket. Uh, and they still have to worry about getting them back in there. Now, why they're doing all these other foreign adventures? That You know, the Turks have troops in Somalia. Uh, in the news, you hear about it in, in uh, you know, in, in Azerbaijan, their fellow Turks, where they apparently have at least a few hundred of these mercenaries. Um and Libya and Syria, and they also have, uh, you know, some. How should I put it? Some friendly Kurds in northern uh, northern Iraq, 
which I wouldn't exactly call mercenaries, but yeah, they're on the payroll and they basically cooperate with the Turks. But yeah, they're they're spread pretty thin. And uh, they joke in Turkey about him trying to, Erdogan trying to reestablish the Ottoman Empire, which is not popular with the Turks. But they they joke basically that it's a delusion. Uh, The only Turk who wants another Ottoman Empire is, is, is their current unpopular president. Well, Jim got brought you up to snuff on on Libya the the two factions the LNA and uh, GNA. I, I'm I'm going to add a, a, a some historical perspective to this and historical perspective of uh, Turkey and Libya. But I want to pick up on on the, Jim's last point about what Erdogan Sultan Recep. That is the way he because the Sultan <laughs> always gets his first name. You know, Sultan. You know, but. Yeah, and then the the last name of the sultan, you know, no, no, you call him, you know, by his 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 his, his first name, and but uh, Sultan Rajib is what the the Tur- Turks mockingly refer to him at, or sometimes I, I think it, bitterly. Look, what he rode into power in two thousand two was discussed with the uh, corruption of the. Uh, Republican People's Party, the Kemalist Party, the uh, party that Kemal Ataturk uh, uh, established. Uh, I mean, the whole party wasn't corrupt, but certainly, you know, they did "quote unquote" deep state corruption. And he, and Erdogan, promised that he was going to, because he was a, a moral Muslim, he was going to. No, I'm, I'm, I'm mocking him now, but this is the way he, he came on. Uh, we're we're going to have values on this. Well, now he's starting about by 2010. He was just as crooked as he could be, uh, and you know, the people the people around him investigations going on. So he lost that because he really came into power in 2003. It was 2002 elections that uh, his party, the Justice and Development Party, uh, won, which is a quote unquote moderate Islamist party, and it's. Arguably, uh, initially, it it real there really was an example of a quote unquote uh, uh, Muslim party that was uh, a Muslim in its orientation, but pro pro democracy. And of course, what he, uh, Erdogan started doing again about 2010, 2011 was solidifying power in uh, a powerful presidency, which is where he is now. But it wasn't just this, I'm cleaning things up. He, on top of it, and yeah, it was legitimate. Uh, he was going to liberalize the economy in a, in a classic you know, British liberal sense of uh, uh, a liberal uh, economy. And the Turkish, uh, Turkish economy boomed. Uh, it was, you, even his, his critics said, you know, uh, it's, it's really legal for honest people to make money now. Now, does that sound bitter, Dan, or ironic? You got it. But that's uh, it's even you know, even us, us honest people can make make some money. The economy started sputtering. Uh, Jim, I'm think I'm thinking 2014 again myself. 2014, yeah. 2015. Yeah. Uh, Turkey also lost a lot of money in Libya in 2011 because the Turks had a lot of major construction projects. And I'm, I'm talking, you know, tens of millions, uh, hundred of million dollars, uh, construction projects by Turkish companies 
down there, both infrastructure and 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 Tripoli, but uh, but oil oil infrastructure. There may be an Egyptian workers and plenty of them over in Cyrenaica, that's eastern Libya. But uh, the, they were the Turks had contracts in both western Turkey, Tripolitania, and then eastern Turkey. I mean eastern Libya, Cyrenaica. Why am I using the old Roman names? Well, because they actually still got some historical significance. Think of GNA territory as Tripolitania <laughs> and LNA primary territory, the east, Tobruk, as Cyrenaica, and you're not too far off. The Cyrenaica comes from the Greek city Cyrene or, or, or Kyrene, where Simon of Cyrene carried Christ's cross was supposedly uh, uh, biblically from. Uh, Turks had investments. That hurt them. It was also one of their interests in why they were a little bit flaky on Gaddafi's removal, even though they 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 really had no uh, uh, political uh, uh, truck with him. And ultimately, you, you saw Turkey involved in that NATO coalition to uh, 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 to topple uh, Gaddafi. But here's Erdogan. He's interested in Libya. We know what's going on in Syria. And I've got comment, Jim. Yeah, it's about 2.6 million uh, Syrians in Turkey now. You know, for a while, it was a little over 3 million. And some of them went on into Europe, moved into Central and, and Western Europe. A few of them have filtered back into that. And we're not supposed to call it a buffer zone, but it really is something of a buffer zone when you see where the Turkish military and the and the uh, mercenaries uh, forces, the we'll call them pro-Turkish forces, are distributed along that uh, the Syrian side of that southern border. The the that 2.6 million Syrians still in Turkey is a long-term problem. Some of them, the there there are plenty of wealthy Syrians fled to Turkey early on, and a lot of them moved into very nice apartments in Antakya, which is Antioch, that little cut of uh, Turkey that drops into, into northern you know, northern Syria. It's almost like Antakya now is a, is a part of Turkey that's a, an Arab stand. But okay, it's, it's, uh, that, it's, it's not Antakya that's the issue. It's the camps on the Turkish side of the border with all of these refugees and how Turkey uh, can integrate some, but it can't integrate. It doesn't want to integrate all of them. It wants to return them to Syria, and uh, it doesn't want to return them. Uh, I'm, I'm saying this is the Turkey's credit. Erdogan is not going to make this mistake either, I say, crossing my fingers of sending Syrians back to their uh, to their uh, deaths. So there's going to be a, some, have to be some cantonization, I suppose, in northern Syria. Uh, it's something I think that Turkey, whether Erdogan's in charge or not, would be uh, uh, would support Erdogan though has some of these uh, situations that he's gotten involved in. He's also got a little finger in Sudan too with that Turkish uh, port, uh, the the Suwalki. I don't know. It's uh, yeah, Suwalki. It's right there near Port Sudan. That uh, a lot of of uh, of uh, Arabs and Sudanese and East Africans are uh, concerned uh, 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 concerned about. He's he's 
using he's he's got an economy sputtering he's increasingly unpopular at home and uh, as as you've pointed out many times and every uh, and everybody looking at what happens in a country falling apart with a strong man is that foreign adventures are a are a uh, attraction because they're uh, one way to look tough and a and a, and a distraction. Uh, that that's the other thing is is why why is he into it with uh, the Greeks? Oh well, the Greeks and Turks that the, that that old fight. The thing is is the Greeks have uh, have strong cases for the offshore gas rights. Uh, the Turks Turks do as well. There's room in there for negotiation, but what he decides to do is send, like the Chinese do, uh, big oil uh, drilling test uh, test rigs and and, and Turkish navy ships uh, into in, these areas to uh, uh, really uh, and then make draw maps that divide up the uh, Mediterranean uh, Mediterranean basin. And the way he wants to see it uh, uh, d- divided, not based on uh, uh, international law and and primarily UN, UN um, uh, Convention on the Law of the Sea. Uh, Egypt and and Greece have uh, reached uh, some settlements. Cyprus is involved in it. Of course, the Israelis kicked this off when they discovered that big Leviathan uh, gas field. In their waters uh, uh, in, uh, of the uh, Mediterranean, and there's really kind of a consortium that's developed. You, you see, with uh, Israel and 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 Egypt, uh, Cyprus, and 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 Greece, but Libya comes into this because, as Jim pointed out, uh, Libya been the GNA been over backwards to uh, 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 to Erdogan to carve up the Mediterranean uh, 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 undersea uh, gas fields in, in Turkey's favor. And that's whether that's going to stand up in, in, in court, it's unlikely. Uh, the risk that Erdogan runs is already getting into a, a, a sea battle with the, with the Greeks backed up by the French. And that's, that's an inter, uh, intra-NATO fight. Uh, it, uh, I, I just don't see the Turks doing that. I don't see the French and the Greek, uh, Greeks doing it, but it's the kind of, of bluff that's a dangerous, dangerous uh, 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 game to play, especially when those natural resources can be uh, profitably uh, shared by, by everybody and everybody would make uh, peace and everybody make money. Now, last thing to get back, I'm going to go back to 1911 and 1912. Why? Because in uh, 1910, what is now Libya, was uh, really three uh, provinces of the Ottoman Empire. Uh, really two provinces, and there was a part around Benghazi that was carved up in a slightly different political uh, uh, political entity. Then there was also what I'll call the outback, uh, which was under a separate administrative area, but it was primary, primarily Berbers. Uh, you could see that uh, historical imprint even in, in, in uh, 2011, because the Berbers were the ones in the, out in the desert waging war on uh, 
uh, Gaddafi's uh, forces. I'm going to leave the Berbers out of this uh, for uh, for the moment. But in 1911, Italy invaded Libya because uh, you know the driving force in this uh, in new Italian and this is before Mussolini. This was a, a Italian crown. Uh, they they were wanted to become a, a, a European imperial power, and Libya was had been part of the old Roman Empire. That was part of the mythology being sold by Rome. And the Italian Navy, which was really a, a, of 1910, far superior to what the Ottoman Empire had, uh, delivered Italian troops. And in the first month of September 1911, the uh, Italian forces took over uh, all of the major ports along the uh, the Libyan uh, Mediterranean littoral from Tripoli all the way across to uh, to Tobruk, uh, and, and Tobruk is where the contemporary uh, 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 House of Representatives, which is the uh, political authority for the uh, Libyan National Army, is is uh, uh, is headquartered. And then it all froze because the Turks got enough of their well, I'll call their special forces and some mercenary forces and Arab mercenary forces and Berber forces to uh, resist the uh, Italians as they tried to uh, uh, push into the interior and, and win uh, a decisive victory. Uh, no, I don't think history is repeating itself, but there's some really interesting, uh, interesting echoes in what we see now and that no one can uh, the, you, you see the city control you also see the uh east versus west uh uh elements and uh, you see the outback still now uh with the exception of the oil producing sectors in south uh, southeastern uh libya uh <clears throat> relatively untouched by uh the uh uh, uh, by the fighting and, and by the chaos. I say relatively untouched. There's, uh, Jim, maybe, maybe you come up with a town. It was a pro-Qaddafi town now that has Islamic State uh, operatives in it. In, uh, I was Certe. Certe was No, that Certe is on the coast. This one's, this one's back in the, in the sand. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I'm but, but, it. yeah, yeah all right. It's, the thing it's is still I just a whole lot for several no, Islamic groups. It's not a big deal, but it's there. Uh, yeah. and, and part of the reason it's that they're, they're somewhat dispersed is, and Jim got into this, Dan, is that the U.S. is only our quote-unquote, we want it settled. Uh, I have a sneaking suspicion that we would be glad to see Heftar win because the Egyptians want him to win. And, you know, when I, that's and because they're, the Egyptians tend to be pro. Whoever's in Saranaica, the eastern mm. Eastern Libya, since that's their border, they 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 want that you know uh, uh, peaceable. But we're not we're we're not really taking sides on it. But our sides are is if the Islamic State shows up, you can get hello U.S. Air Force or U.S. Navy, if because uh, we'll help take that out, and uh, we'll try to to uh, uh, send surveillance assets to pin uh, pin down Islamic State. Uh, Islamic State elements, as Jim said, though, <clears throat> they're largely dispersed and, and beaten there. 
in Libya. But the reason I told the little historical bit is that there are some people in Turkey, some people who see this as, as, a, as a, a neo-Ottoman play by, uh, by Erdogan, because it was part of the old uh, Ottoman, uh, Ottoman Empire. Uh, and uh, I, 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 it's not the driving reason for Turkish involvement now, but it does have echoes and it has domestic echoes within Turkey. Uh, it's not one that, that, that there are necessarily a lot of Turks that support it, but they're aware of it. And uh, it's what I would say about the Turco-Italian War of 1911-1912 was the first air war because of Italians uh, employed monoplanes and, and uh, dirigibles to drop bombs. And uh, it was also because when the Turks were tied up down there, was what the advantage when the Balkan League kicked off the first Balkan War because the, uh, the Turks were tied up. So you might blame that war for <clears throat> the first and second Balkan Wars, which really kicked off World War I. Uh, a little history there. I'll leave it at that. So, Jim, what what other places is Erdogan involved with outside of Libya? Well, you know, he's he's got is he's got some Turks, like I say, in Somalia, uh, uh, in northern Iraq, where he's been fighting. He sometimes he sends, and I think there are ground troops there now. He has actually a couple of small special forces bases, special operations bases, but it's mainly air power. Um, and uh, but the majority of his mercenaries are basically in Syria with a large contingent in Libya and a small number, under a thousand apparently, in Azerbaijan helping to fight the Armenians who have, uh, ever since 1991, uh, managed to hang on to uh, Nagorno Karabakh, which is basically a, a, a area inside of Azerbaijan. Well, it's close to the but not adjacent to the Armenian border. And Nagorno Karabakh had a, has a majority uh, Armenian population. Now, during the Soviet Union days, it didn't make any difference. You know, the Armenians were mainly in Armenia, and there were a bunch of them in, in Nagorno Karabakh. But once the Soviet Union fell, Azerbaijan and Armenia became independent, and there was a dispute over well, who shall rule over Nagorno Karabakh? Uh, the um, uh, the Armenians took it by force. And they've held on to it ever since, even though they have a smaller population, they don't have oil, they have a, a lower GDP, but they're better fighters. And that irritates the, the heck out of the uh, out of the uh, Azerbaijanis because, hey, they're Turks and these Armenians, who the hell are they? Um, and uh, that's been very frustrating to Azerbaijan. Now, Azerbaijan has gone so far as to become a, a major export customer for Israeli military equipment, including some weapons. Uh, so at the at at the moment, Israel supports Azerbaijan, and Russia supports Armenia, but doesn't want to support it too much, even though they have a, a treaty with Armenia, a mutual defense military treaty. There are Russian troops uh, inside of, uh, of Armenia. So anyway, the the Armenia the Azerbaijan just want to win one. So far, they haven't made much progress on the ground. They fired a lot of artillery and rockets. And whatnot uh, into uh, the Gorno Karabakh, which of course since 1991 has become almost entirely Armenian. They drove all the uh, the uh, the Turks out, um, and so yeah, you know, Russia is one of his allies. Um, 
if he can basically uh, help Azer- Azerbaijan get Nagorno-Karabakh back. It doesn't look like that's going to happen. And Erdogan would have to send a lot more mercenaries than he's got there now, or probably than, they, than he can afford to send, uh, to win a decisive victory. So, you know, all the, all the, uh, the circus support for Azerbaijan is doing is getting more people killed. So far, most of them appear to be uh, civilians. Uh, Dan, one thing is, is you, 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 you can't ignore the way uh, Erdogan's government has been using the uh, Turkish Navy in the, in the Mediterranean. It's uh, not just a show the flag, uh, well, show the flag oper- uh, operations, but uh, as uh, to, uh, well, he, as he says, to establish Turkish uh, interests uh, in the Mediterranean, but there have been real uh, confrontations between the, uh, the Turks on one side and the French and the Greeks on the other. Um, they've also, the Turkish Navy uh, operating off the uh, the Libyan coast, uh, I'm, I don't think that's as much uh, an issue, except when it comes in a confrontation with the uh, uh, other other NATO navies, and they have been contra- confrontations. And the, from the point of view, view of, the, of Erdogan's government, he sees he touts them as being a tough a tough guy, <clears throat> instead of looking at the uh, long term interests that uh, Turkey has. And Turkey's got legitimate claims to real portions of the uh, uh, of the uh, potential gas fields and actual uh, strongly suspected gas uh, gas fields but uh, what's the value of it if you're uh, <clears throat> fighting with potential customers as well so uh something else something else to point out about and austin can talk in more detail, historical detail about this what the turks are trying to do is turn the eastern uh mediterranean into a south china sea because technically they don't control the uh, you know the, the the economic zone, as it were, of all the areas that they supposedly now claim because of the treaty with Libya, because uh, one of the big disputes when the Ottoman Empire fell apart was which islands belongs to belong to Turkey. Now Greece got most of them basically because they were on the on the winning side. Uh, but the Turks never really recognized that. I mean, they never agreed to it. They had to put up with it because they were basically, you know, outnumbered. They fought another war after World War II and to, you know, get to, to establish, you know, their, their Turkish Republic. And Austin wrote a book about Ataturk, the guy who was in charge of that. Um, and even at the end of that, that other peace treaty, the final peace treaty, they basically ceded, as it were, momentarily. These islands, one of them is a very like a rock, literally. I mean, like that's what it's like the South China Sea, but an atomic zone, which is like what 360 kilometers from any land, as it were, uh, is so large it covers a lot of these lucrative, you know, gas potential gas fields and other resources. What are the name so of these islands again, Jim? Well, no, there's a whole bunch of them. Well, okay. the Aegean Island. There's one, and I'm I'm kind of I'm going to mispronounce. Yeah, I can't remember the name either. It's obscure as heck. Stella Rizzo, or or it's it's close to. Yeah, something like like that. It's in the med right off the. It's in the med right off of the south 
uh, western part of the Turkish coast. It's not really in the Aegean, and it really is tiny. The thing is, there room. There's room for negotiation on a, and it's kind of out there by itself. It's not like part of the of the Aegean uh, Greek island uh, 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 islands. And if you follow um, literally the the unclosed lawn, yes, it's got this kind of huge cone coming south of it and some of these potential gas fields. But there's all kinds of room for negotiation on something like that. And this is where the the Turks have a legitimate point. Excuse me, it's really on our continental shelf coming, coming off there. And the thing is, though, is that sending your navy around and everybody running their ships into each other is not the way it's going to get uh, get solved. You end up looking just like Jim said, like China being a bully in the uh, South China Sea. Uh, it, it's they're, they're really, in fact, there's a, the the Israelis have been very, and and I'll call it Greek Cyprus, but you know, the Cypriot government have been very savvy in the way that they've dealt with one another. Uh, on 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 the uh, resource development and resource sharing in these in these gas fields, understand that there's also likely uh, uh, natural gas off of the Lebanese coast, and there is a field that is right off of Gaza, and the Israelis, to their credit, give are prepared, and I, maybe they're doing it now, I don't have the uh, 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 insight into what's being done with it, but prepared for the Palestinians living in Gaza to, to get royalties off of that uh, uh, those developed fields, because that would be the letter of the law. If that can be, if that can be done by the Israelis and Palestinians, uh, the uh, Greeks and Cy- Cyprus, and uh, the the Turks can uh, can settle that, and I'm I'm saying, you know, Austin, you know, what, how do you how do you how do you know they can settle it? Because there's so much to gain by settling it. That's that's why. Uh, and Erdogan's reaction, and part of it has to do with the, his own domestic situation. On this, is he's going to be a tough guy. Uh, I would separate that somewhat from some of the other. Issues. I mean, they've got a serious bad pun. I didn't mean it, but issue with what with serious uh, fragmentation. But he's also got this kind of pan-Turkic policy too, where he's uh, supporting uh, Turkmen in Iraq and Syria, and also Turkic peoples uh, all the way going to uh, Western China and the Uyghurs, who happen to be Turks as well. So that puts Erdogan in. In conflict with uh, Xi Jinping uh, in 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 uh, uh, Western China, uh, Pan Turkism, which reminds me of the old Russian Romanov Pan Slavism in its own way. But um, uh, anyway, that's that's another reason they refer to him as, as Sultan Rajib. He's he's got all these irons irons in the fire to make himself a all all of them Dan do something. Uh, as for his uh, for his own ego, global leader or whatever whatever it is, and I think at, at some point it it comes down that he's. It, this sounds novelistic, but I and it's a psychological read, which I usually would avoid. But I, I think he's terribly jealous of Kamal Ataturk, 
Uh, that's and he wants to be the man who puts a imprint, 21st century imprint on Turkey. Uh, he's doing anything but bringing the kind of stability that Kamal brought. So well, that's an observation. We'll, we'll keep an eye on the Sultan and and see what he <laughs> continues to get up to. Uh, just to tease, our next episode of our wargaming history, we'll be talking about Jim's uh, political games and the monster game. And interested to get into the monster game. That should be an interesting discussion. So we'll see you both next time. Bye, Dan. Bye. Hey, take care. Bye-bye.